Okay, so we're going to take a more lighthearted turn and talk about plants today. Um, our last episode was pretty heavy, weighty issue, talking about fake meat and meat in general. Um, and today we're going to talk about trees because trees are, I don't know, they're just the, the comedy relief. So I hope you are excited, um, not just trees, but perennials to talk about those plants that might serve you well and might you know really give you a good turnaround in terms of investment get these in the ground they'll get growing for you and you'll do a little work and get a lot of return hey friends welcome to the schoolhouse life where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling self-sufficient family homestead we go back to basics in all things family faith and farming and we're eager to teach you what we've learned everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle we're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too all right so this is one of my favorite topics and drew's like well this doesn't have to be a long podcast so i have no plans (laughs) (laughs) i'm not committing to long or short um But today we're going to talk about, and I'll just list off and you can um, listen as we go through each one individually, but we're going to go through mulberry, pawpaws, yopons, mullen, self-heal, beautyberries, chokeberries, hibiscus, hazelnut, and Navajo blackberries. So this was just my top 10, like immediately came to my mind as ones I wanted to talk and share with you about. We've already done plant podcasts before, so... You know, our top 10 list, our top three list, at least we've, we've gone over, I think yeah. elderberry, comfrey, and I might be forgetting one, but these are, these are right now what's, um, you know, what we're, I would I, say I feel like. these are like Southeastern native plants that everybody should have on their homestead. Everybody should have, or at least even if you don't have, if you don't live on a homestead, um, you should be able to go to like the nature preserves and find these. Or if you don't live on a homestead, have them in pots on your porch. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't have a porch, go to the park and find them. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So we'll start at the very top. So mulberry is number one. Um, and so mulberries, fortunately, we planted a lot of these when we first started, not knowing whether we like mulberries or not. And we're very medium about mulberries as a fruit, I think. Like, you know, they're not they're not a staple for us. I'm not going to freeze tons and tons of mulberries because uh, they're they just... They do not freeze well. They're not my favorite frozen berry. Um, I saw somebody posted a recipe for a mulberry like pie the other day and, and they're a chef and they said it was hands down one of the best pies they'd ever made, which I, I'm trying to envision how that worked <laughs> and maybe I'll follow his recipe. He's a foraging chef, so I'm sure he knows what he's talking about. But um, if you could get the seeds out of them, it would be good. I just don't with know. The stems, when you pick yeah. them, the stems kind of come with them. So you're, you're sort of left having to de-stem each one individually. Yeah. Um, which is challenging. But I will say the the trees themselves are magnificent. The berries, Abraham will come back covered in berry juice. So don't get me wrong. People love mulberries. Um and we have white mer- mulberries and we have um I don't know if they're black or purple. They're purple, but I'm not sure what the variety is. I called. think they're black. The yeah. one the biggest one we have is like it's called like Queen Jewel Mulberry. Yeah. Something like that. And the cool thing is like the one blueberry or mulberry that we planted ha- is a full-fledged tree now. You know, we put it in probably year, year one when we moved here. And I might not l- like love the location. I think when we no started. we get that big. Oh my gosh. And I have a friend who has a mulberry tree that's 20 times as big as that one. Yeah, I know. So they can get massive. Um, so be aware of that. 
this one has turned into a full-fledged tree and it did it very rapidly. So, um, and it's funny, we planted a whole row, we call it mulberry row and uh, along the pond's edge um, for a couple of reasons. One is it was sort of where the fence is. Um, so we knew that the mulberries would fall into where we were keeping animals. And so that was a perk because um, the, the animals love the mulberries. Uh, we keep chickens in there. We've kept turkeys in there. The, we've kept all kinds of livestock in there. The other plan was we would drive the chicken tractor down one side of the row yeah. and then turn around and come back the other. And the chickens would then be able to like eat the mulberries off the ground as um, the, as we went. moved them. Yeah. Yeah. Which that like we ended up not doing that because we got more property and didn't have to keep the chickens right there chickens by the pond is it just doesn't fit our system anymore yeah. but it's still beautiful down there but the other reason was is it was by the pond so we knew that the roots wouldn't have to go too deep and they'd they'd have access to water pretty sustainably so and that seems to have worked yeah and it's i did not know when we planted them but it's great forage for cows and sheep and um and then, like medicinally speaking, I mean, yeah. there's just like an insane amount of things that you can do with mulberries. There's one mulberry that I still want. It's like a um, Middle Eastern one, and it's like the mulberries are like bigger than your thumb. I mean, mm. they're like massive. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Lebanon mulberry. Interesting. I don't know. Every once in a while, I see it in a catalog. I'm well, like, and they're oh, fairly no. drought tolerant. It's yeah. interesting. It's one of Thomas Jefferson's favorite plants. If you've ever been to Monticello. Or he actually has another property that was that he built that's like mini Monticello. I think it's called Poplar Grove uh, in Virginia. And they both are surrounded by mulberries. He just thought they were the most magnificent tree. And so they have these mulberry lanes um, all over those properties. Um, but yeah, I mean, also in Israel, when we went to Israel, they were everywhere. Yeah. So they're pretty, um, they're just pretty easy. And they're kind of a beautiful tree. I mean, I, the shape of them is really nice. Um, if you're thinking about planting something like Bradford pear, I would say this is a much better alternative. Just knowing, though, that it does get it can get over the course of, you know, 20 years or so much, much larger. I think you so. could prune it back. I've thought about. Like, well, we have to. So that's yeah. the other benefit is you can coppice it and, and yeah. use the branches for things. Yeah. And one year we went in and like almost cut it in half and it like recovered oh, yeah. in a year. Mm, very quickly. Um, yeah. So mulberry top of the list. If you don't have any. Get some, they'll grow pretty rapidly and they're a great thing to have. Um, the next on the list is pawpaw. <laughs> Somebody, I'm not sure why that so, made the list. Well, because it's fun. Somebody said yesterday, they're like, they're like, oh, I was, it's a, uh, my best friend. She was like, I've heard about pawpaws as a really great thing. Have you ever heard of pawpaws? I was like, yeah, we have like 15 of them growing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have for, I, I think the first year we moved out here, one of the, we were looking up, you know, natives and, what can we start? And pawpaws were high on the list because they're native and they have this really m- mysterious fruit that if we you have haven't had. Still not had grown on our property. Well, we had, they did, we're growing. So yeah. what we had to do is a friend of ours has some pretty massive pawpaw trees. I think they were on his property when yeah. he moved in. So they're great, but you have to cross pollinate a lot because we don't have a lot of the flies, the pollinators that do the job. Um, it's hard to get them to come to the tree. So there often are a lot of pawpaw trees around even, but hard to find ones with fruit. Um, but the fruit is insanely good. It's just, it's not shelf stable at all. This is why we don't see it in grocery stores, but it's this, you cut it in half. It's got these big fat seeds in it 
and the seeds are in this like soupy custard, like kind of like, like a mushy a, banana. Yeah, it's like a banana and a pear and a pineapple mushed up together yeah. and delicious. Kind of a little ma- hint of mango. So sweet. It's just like so sweet. I, I'm sure if like agriculturally speaking, if they could come up with a way to mass produce pawpaws, they would simply for the fact that I'm sure they could make an incredible sugar substitute out of out of it. But so I was talking, there's somebody in our area that has them and grows different cultivars that are more consistent and grow like better fruit. So there is like some development happening. I, I wouldn't say on a commercial level, but I didn't realize this when we got ours, like the wild ones are kind of, which is what we have are like kind of, I mean, makes sense now, but mm-hmm. I didn't know there was an alternative to the wild ones. I mm-hmm. guess what I'm saying is they're just kind of like inconsistent. You might get some fruits here or there, but if you get these like kind of d- more domesticated varieties, mm-hmm. you can get. Maybe like a wild persimmon, native persimmon versus like one of those Fuyu persimmon trees. Yeah. Or like a regular apple tree versus like a. Crab apple. Crab apple. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but they're cool. They do grow very slowly. And then I think once they get comfortable, they start to take off. So we're starting to see that now. Some of the trees we started are still not more than three feet tall. Um, but they are starting to like every year double in size. So um, so those are great. I think that it's exciting to have those kinds of native um, sort of heritage plants. Um and then the next is Yopon. So Yopon is spelled Y-A-U-P-O-N. Um, and this is a, a native grower. I never know how to spell it. Well, if you're looking it up, you know, it's kind of a weird name. Um, but it is a native sort of bushy plant that can get larger, um, evergreen, small, teeny tiny little dark green leaves. Um, you've probably seen it. You didn't realize that it looks a lot like a, maybe an ornamental shrub or something. And you probably could even grow it in that way. Um, but the leaves are actually caffeinated. So you can use it as tea. It was a native caffeinated tree um, or plant that when the early settlers arrived, they were trying to find an alternative to English tea, obviously. Um, or tea coming even because English tea comes from China. I don't think there's caffeinated trees native in England. Right. Um, but, you know, we didn't want everything to rely on England for everything. So started using it and then it, it got the um, scientific name. I Vomitech. Something. It's uh, Alexia Vomitoria. Oh, well done. Um, which, Probably that's it. I don't know. <laughs> wait, you just made that up? It's something very similar to that. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm working on knowing scientific names. And I even thought, no. oh, I should write them down on here before we get started. But, you know, I'm, I didn't. Um but a lot of people, the like folklore around that is that uh, the English called it that so that American settlers would not think it was edible <laughs> or usable, useful. Um, but it is highly useful. So we still got them. Um, and there, there is a lot of like there are some people doing a lot of research on Yupon and um, how to enhance ca- caffeination and make it in the best tea format and that kind of thing. So, um, but a fun one to have around, especially if you like um, tea. Did you say it's an evergreen also? I, I believe so. I feel like that's another really good. I I think it makes a good like screening plant. Like if you need something to screen out the neighbors or you know the neighbor's shed. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have like a bunch of sheds, um, neighbor shed. And I'm always like, what can I put there? So I don't have to look at the backside of their shed. Yeah. Um, and there's always, you know, on a border, you usually want to have some privacy put up anyway. 
Um, I wouldn't say it's super fast growing though. So, if, no. and it, you know, I can get tall, but I think it looks a little scraggly once it's all. So you might, it might not be the best solution. Um, mullen is on the list and mullen is something that a lot of people ask me for mullen plants. And I mean, I, I think you can, you can probably grow it like that in a seed tray. Um, and I've, I'm trying, I gathered the seeds and I'm giving it a go just to see. Um, and get more growing but we have so much sort of randomly growing on our property here and thankfully we have that property in Sparta and a lot of these things grow natively there as well and so there's a ton of of mullein which I think grows even better up there it seems like it that one whole hillside is just yeah it really likes to grow on on hillside mullein I I think because it has the deep taproot I'm assuming it has a deep taproot I generally think that any plant like it's root or is as deep as as high as it goes. It, it seems has like, to be. Yeah, it seems like it really likes like erosion areas. Yeah, it does. Which makes yeah. me think it has a deep disturbed root. areas. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a biennial, so it flowers every other year. So you might see the beautiful spiral fuzzy leaves one year. Um, and then the next year you'll see a five foot, six foot tall flower head um, spe- spike out of the middle of it. Um, and all parts of that plant can be used. We use the leaves. Um, we actually will, Drew will smoke them in a pipe. I make a tincture um, and the flowers can be used as well. So the, the mullein leaf is especially good for lung issues, conditions. So asthma, breathing conditions. Um, so we keep it on hand for that. Which it feels very counterintuitive when you're having like asthma-like symptoms to breathe in smoke, but it's amazing how much of a difference sort of an instant sort of like a nebulizer right um and then the flowers are really good for uh ear aches so you can make an oil out of uh, called mullein oil so um i think just one of we've gone to a lot of homestead um uh consults and I would say the majority of the people who aren't familiar with their land will walk around and will find mullein. So it's a cool one to find um, and know that you can use. Um, Self-heal I put on the list because that's another one that people will often find. It's usually right there beneath them. Um, and that is in the category of like plantain, chicory, self-heal, dandelion. Um, those are all, if you own any property in the United States, you'll probably find those plants growing. Um, so just become attuned and find them and use them. So self-heal is called self-heal or heal all. Um, it's got a lot of names. It has this really pretty little purple flower on it and the leaves are very distinctive. I don't know why, because if once you know what you're looking at, you're like, Oh, look at all the self-heal. You'll just be able to identify it from the leaves. And I, I don't know why, because they're very traditional, like oblong shape, but there's something about it that just has a very unique characteristic. Um, at least to me. And you know, you can use the flowers, you can use the leaves and it, you can make salves and balms and things. Um, it, great for wound care and skin care. So um, that's a fun one to have around and really pretty. Um, and then the next I put on beautyberry. So beautyberry is a native and it's really fun to come across it in the wild. And the berries really are just really beautiful. Are they edible? They are. Yeah, you can make jams and jellies out of them. I don't think they're like tasty right off the bush. Um and we actually planted two and they were going really strong and looking great. And then um, the power line company came along and sprayed. <laughs> yeah. Which we've since, and we've even done a podcast about this, but we've since um, told the power company that we run an organic farm and they cannot come out here and spray. Um, and so we even have signs hung up and everything. Um, and they gave us money back for that. But, you know, there's nothing like a thriving plant. 
I'd rather have my thriving plants back. And we have planted more, but um, they're taking a little while to get to get going. Um, but yeah, you can find those. And like everything, if you can find it in the wild and sort of nurture it there, it'll do so much better than anything you try to, you know, stick in the ground because it knows where it should be. And yeah, we try our best, but we're not always great at finding the best place for things to go. Um, next on the list is chokeberry, otherwise known as aronia. Um, and it actually is, I feel like it's kind of an underdog. I don't know why people don't talk about it I more. I feel like it's the name. The chokeberry? Yeah. Well, and the yes. taste. They're terrible. <laughs> they taste terrible. I know why I got that name, because like the other day I was like, oh, I'm going to try one of these. Yeah. I was like, never again. So that's probably about the fourth time I've tried one. I feel yeah. like. You got to try them every year. Yeah. Just to, oh, maybe they're better this year. They're not. They're always the same. They do, I think, often get confused with pokeberry, um, just like elderberry does. And they are three very different plants. Chokeberry um, doesn't, it, it's little berries. So on an elderberry, you have those umbrels of flowers um, that face up towards the sun. Chokeberry is the opposite. They face down and the berries are larger and they kind of hang down from, um, from where they're. Almost like, like little mini cherries. Yeah, definitely more like a cherry than in like an elderberry. What I didn't know about aronia, and especially you can tell because of where we planted it, is that it is like a shade lover. Like it, it's an understory. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like yeah. on our property. We have it planted in like full, full sun. Full sun. <laughs> it's making it. Well, here's what I will say, and this is like, I, I mean, I might say this in every other podcast, but the deer fence has made all the difference. So we put in this deer fence this year, and. Everything that we planted 10 years ago is suddenly like, oh, look, yeah, <laughs> it's still there, you know, and I would say the same is very true of the chokeberry. It's suddenly seven feet tall. It suddenly had enough berries on it for me to pick and make a syrup. Um, but the cool thing about chokeberry is it's higher in vitamin C and a lot of other nutrients than even elderberry. So um, like I, you know, elderberry syrup has become this craze and I'm wondering why chokeberry hasn't followed suit. The name. <laughs> It's marketing. What's in a name? Um, anyway, it's marketing. Um, but it's also super high in tannin. So it is very kind of like dries your mouth out. But um, but yeah, it's a great plant to grow. It does grow in the understory. So it, you can plant it in a shady area. Um, It'd be great for like an apple tree guild. You know, like if yeah. you just plant it under an apple tree. Yeah. yeah. It, would, it would thrive, I think. Mm-hmm. It's also a great forage. The cows love to eat it. Like now that it's gotten taller, I let them kind of nip down low on it and Mm -hmm. um you know it bounces what's cool about it is it bounces right back so it can take they really only eat the leaves right yeah Yeah. then then the leaves reproduce yeah um okay next on the list is hibiscus so there's some there's like i think 185 or 85 something high amounts are different kinds of hibiscus a lot of people are familiar with hibiscus tea generally that's made from roselle which is a annual in our area it's native to like the caribbean or something but um, it is, it makes a delicious deep red tea, um, that can, I think it can also be used to make a dye, I want to say. Um, but it is, you know, annual. So you have to start it from seed every year. Um, there are a lot of native hibiscus that will grow back year after year after year. And a lot of them will particularly grow in areas that are not useful for much else. Marshy areas, hillsides, uh, ditches and dips and, and whatnot. Um, they die back almost completely to the ground every year, and then they they still manage to grow back taller again the next year. So, and they make the most beautiful flowers, um, just op- big, open, like moon shaped 
flowers, sort of like a moonflower, but um, they're just glorious. So uh, pollinators adore them, as do um, hummingbirds and lots of other birds. So I highly encourage you to plant those, especially along the edges, um, because again, I, I'm I think any perennial is better than an like ten annuals. <laughs> oh, um, I wonder if there's people that are like annual lovers that are like, <laughs> no. They're really like like impatience. Oh, and I just begonias. can't listen to this anymore. This nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a great cut flower. It's not like something that you would pick and put on your kitchen. T- I mean, maybe you could. Oh, I, I feel know. like the flowers are beautiful. Oh no, they're beautiful. But I think not, they don't yeah. last long as cut so flowers. You're saying better than a zinnia, better than a oh, cosmo. It depends on your goals. Mm. Context, context, context. Anyway, okay, so next on the list is hazelnut, <laughs> which this one is ironic because I'm going to complain about it. We have to give the pros and the cons, right? So hazelnuts, we've grown, the. I would say it was one of the, the blueberries, hazelnuts, apples, and a few other random things. Uh, well, uh, chestnuts, we've tried a ton of chestnuts. Yeah. In the first 10 years, or first, like our first year, maybe first or second year, we probably planted about two to $3,000 worth of those things. Of of all the different plants together. Yeah. yeah. Not of each. Of Yeah, all of that together. Um, and we still have a ton of hazelnuts. Um, and I'm going to clarify. We have a ton of hazelnut bushes. <laughs> we they're do prolific not... growers. Oh, yeah. They're growing like crazy. They're and great. if you have like a crafty seven-year-old that wants to make everything out of little wee branches, uh, hazelnut is a must-have. And for gardening, it's tremendous because you can make really great trellises and teepees for your garden. What I really want to do is make a hazelnut hedge, like the old English style where you like bend them over in like hoops and then you keep every year you bend Did them over. Did they do that? Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. Well, we have we have a hazelnut hedge. I know, but it's not bend. It, I don't know if it's too late. I think you, it's too late. you can cut. Oh, them. yeah. You can just cut the whole all of them back and they'll yeah. just keep growing. So you like take it. It's all. So then it looks like hoops, like half circles over and over. And then all of those grow up, and that's your hedge. Huh. I want to do that. Well, have at it. So After this, that's where I'm headed. <laughs> hey, our hazelnuts out. have never really produced many actual hazelnuts. We've gotten, like, maybe three or four over the course so of the last six years. We don't know for sure, because they do hide, and I feel like the squirrels, my theory is the squirrels get. No. That's not the case because <laughs> I know what the flowers look like and I have searched like crazy for the flowers and I've seen maybe three or four. Abraham found one yesterday. He did find a hazelnut yesterday. So we were very, he was very excited. <laughs> you know, it was cause for celebration because we have these giant bushes that don't make any hazelnuts. So I know a lot of people will talk about, you know, oh, I'm starting a permaculture instead. I'm going to get a bunch of hazelnuts and get them. Feel free. Maybe it's just our soil. I don't know. But we have them planted in many different locations and none of them are making actual hazelnuts. So I feel like I've talked to a lot of people that have planted a lot of hazelnuts and they do get hazelnuts. So I would not let our experience stop you. Maybe a, a slight warning. I don't we, we need like a hazelnut expert oh, I've, to come yeah. out and assess our hazelnuts. I've filed this complaint with everyone I can think to file it with and no one has given me any Good enlightenments, but I call Jeff Lawton. <laughs> okay, Jeff, have him on. Let's talk Come hazelnuts. On, I'm going to call you out because this was your idea. <laughs> um, 
but they are, you know, it's fun. And also the English word for hazelnuts is filbert. So I feel like that's fun. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the last on the list, um, Navajo blackberries. So I posted a picture recently of our blackberries and we are getting about a pound to two pounds a day from our, and we don't have very many cause half of them died. Um, there we've got some coming back in, but, um, they just produce and produce and produce the most beautiful, giant, delicious blackberries and they're thornless also. And our method of growing is super fun. So we bent over a cattle panel and we have them planted on either side of that hoop. Um, and it's just the nicest thing. Even when it's super hot out, you can go out there and you can kind of stand a little bit in the shade and um, pick these blackberries. Well, as they ripen, the blackberries like fall down inside the arc. So yeah, mm-hmm. when the whole arc is covered in blackberry vines, you can be out there like today in the shade picking blackberries and it's, like man this is genius cool and why would you do this any other way why would you do any other way um but i mean i think the only downside is that they are completely bombarded by japanese beetles and june bugs right now so that's a like i just go out and i shake the whole cattle panel and hope they most of them don't fall on my face when i'm picking blackberries it's like a shower of japanese beetles (laughs) which is pretty nasty and the birds it's very difficult to get a bird netting over the arc so yeah, but we, there's, it grows so many. Yeah. I'm not even worried about it. If you don't want to share, you know, some people like to burden it. Every yeah, time. yeah. But we've already made blackberry jam and blackberry cobbler and blackberry, you name it. It's blackberry season at our house. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like it was time to talk plants and um, give you guys some ideas about things that you should be um, doing on your homesteads if you're not already. Um, and natives also that you can look for potentially, um, that might already be there without you having done anything. There won't be Navajo blackberries, <laughs> I don't think. Um, but they, no. they do grow super well. I don't know what the variety is called. The, is the wild variety? Wild blackberries. It's like Satan's blackberry or something. The ones yeah. that grow out of the shoes. For every like 18 thorns, you get one good yeah. berry. And they're like barbed so you can't get your <laughs> finger out. But yeah. I think that's a fun list. So go find all those plants. If they're not growing, grow. Tell your friends about them. Tell your friends to listen to this podcast. And thanks for listening.